If you're interested, you could talk to um, to Jana, um, and particularly on Thursday nights, you could talk to Mrs. Langham, Addie, who just left. So I have a question for us this morning, and the question is, how does our faith in Christ affect the moral foundation of society? How does our faith in Christ affect the moral foundations of society? Or does it? So we're living in a day in which um, a lot of our things, a lot of things that we've held dear are being challenged and and held up. Um, We think about the ongoing long-term issue of abortions and um, pro-life convictions. Think about those kinds of things. We think about the deep concerns about the, the loss of legitimacy of the nuclear family, the breakup of our homes and families. Um, used to be a family unit, husband, wife, children, and that is pretty well in society as a whole in our country disintegrated and in the process of disintegration. Even marriage relationships and all of those things that go with it being attacked and destroyed. There are reasons for that. Also, the sexual experimentation that doesn't protect anybody, the children or even the participants. And it's a thing that is devastating people and it's causing problems and difficulties. There's continued tension between the races. And we think about also economic policies that use aid and food as a weapon in these days. And so these um, things of manipulation, exploitation, selfishness and self-centeredness are all around us. So I ask us again, how does our faith in Christ affect the moral foundations on which society is built? Because we're living in a day in which those foundations are being eroded and attacked and destroyed. So the psalmist understood about that. And he asked a question in Psalm 11. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now that's a challenge that's facing the church and us as Christian uh, individually and Christian communities, isn't it? When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, the moral disintegration that, that underlies and is unraveling our communities and society could be an, an, edu- an indication of a new dark age that is coming upon us. So in that light of the new dark ages, uh, there are new barbarians that are undercutting and destroying the moral integrity and character, which is the very foundation of civilization itself. So why should we be surprised at riots? And why should we be surprised at abuse? Why should we be surprised at the uh, moral disintegration that's taking place around us when we've destroyed all basis of authority and accountability and people run from that. That's why society is falling apart. So it uh, reminds me of, you've seen it before in scripture and if you are a a student of, of history, 
You see it repeated over and over and over again as civilizations implode from within. Out of rottenness and corruption, they just uh, collapse in and on themselves. In Judges chapter, six, chapter 17, verse 6, and repeated again in chapter 21, verse 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so what happened there as a result of that was the Israelite uh, society and community just destroyed itself. And it led to foreign invasion, oppression. Um, It led to all kinds of abuses and neglect within the family. Those last five chapters of the book of Judges, if you'll read those, you'll see what happens to a society that acts in that way. And we are fast approaching that thing, aren't we? There is no respect for law or authority of any kind. And we're forbidden to teach it and to practice it in our schools and, and in the civilization around us. So what can we expect? When they say that there's no absolutes, that means what they're really saying is there is no God, and so we're not accountable to anybody, so we're free to do what we want. And people are acting like that. So there becomes a a complete breakdown of society, morally, ethically, spiritually, socially, economically, politically, militarily. It is a rotting from within. And um, it's the areas of sex and technology that are leading the forefront in that breakdown. Uh, now, both of these things are good, right? Uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, those things are beneficial and they're good in their proper place. But it's like everything else. Uh, Ecclesiastes tells us everything is beautiful in its time and in its place. You take it out of its time and out of its place and it becomes something ugly and something destructive. And so where are we as in the church as we seek to know how to live in a world that we find ourselves in in these days? Sometimes we think that that, uh, it comes upon people as a surprise and it shouldn't. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, starting with verse 12, For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of men are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. So what about you? What about your family? Have you been caught unexpectedly, unawares by the society and the values that are being eroded around us? Um, Have we found ourselves defenseless and confused in fear and in frustration because we hadn't seen this coming? If we'd seen it coming, we would have taken steps to prevent it. Twice in Jeremiah, he talks about the people that were under God's judgment of his day. These were the people of God. And he said, we looked for peace, but no good has come. We looked for healing, but we found only terror. Job talks about it. He says he hoped for good. When he hoped for good, evil came. And when he waited for the light, then darkness came. 
Isaiah talks about it in Isaiah 59, verses 9 through 11. He said, Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness, for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. We all growl like bears and we moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. <clears throat> so that's kind of the signs of the times in which we're living. And it's not, um, it's not an easy thing to hide. All we have to do is look at the news or read the paper or look around us in our own communities, sometimes even closer in our own homes and families. And so we look at that and think about Ecclesiastes saying these things that have come upon us unexpectedly. But, and so in the church, oftentimes, we look around and we say, how in the world did our country get to the state that it's in? And how did the church get to the state that it is in? Well, we could write a book about it, even make a movie on it. And the title of it would be, While You Were Sleeping. Because in the church, we have been lulled by the spirit of the age. Some of us have been caught up in it and adopted its values and standards. And as we're doing that, very slowly, gradually, um, sleeping away in our complacency, our freedoms are eroding away, being taken from us. And um, the society on which our, the foundation on which our society has been built has been eroded. It's not a new problem. Um, as we read through the scriptures, we find that oftentimes even the, the disciples themselves um, slept when they should have been awake. So we find at, at odd times, um, we know Jesus got up early in the morning, sometimes stayed up all night, no virtue and lack of sleep. Uh, it's just that's when the time that he had when he could be alone. And so he was looking for those times that he could be alone with the Lord. And we have to do the same thing. We have to be intentional about it. We have to carve out time for us to spend with the Lord. Disciples struggled with that. Even on the Mount of Transfiguration, um, they had been praying, and the disciples were there, and it says their eyes were heavy with sleep. I can relate to that. And we remember also in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, they've had a, a nice big meal. It was a Passover meal. Um, a lot of things were going on which they didn't understand. They were confused a little bit. Um, Jesus had tried to tell them, now they're out in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's quiet. Uh, it's peaceful. And they're sitting down, and Jesus is over here praying. And they fell asleep. And Jesus gets up, and he wakes them up. And he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think that's the message of Jesus Christ for us in the church today. We need to be watching and praying, lest we ourselves enter into temptation. Spirit's willing, 
Uh, you wouldn't be here this morning if it wasn't. Flesh is weak, and we all can relate to that. And so he's warning us, he's telling us, um, and then he's showing us. He wakes them up, watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation, and he went and he prayed a second time, saying the same words. This is how you live in this day and age, through prayer, through seeking after the Lord, but the bottom line is always the same. Not my will, but yours be done. And he comes back, and they're asleep again. So again, he wakes them up. Uh, Can you not watch with me one hour? And a third time, he goes and prays. And the third time he comes and he says, the time is upon us, it's time to get up, here comes my betrayer. Unexpected temptations and trials that come upon the church unexpectedly. Why? Because in the place of prayer, we've been asleep. In the place of our spiritual relationship with God, we've kind of let it slide. And so that's how we've got to the state that we're in. Jesus talks about it. We talk about the signs of the times. Um, um, Jesus criticized the Pharisees and the Sadducees and says, Look, you know the signs of the times. You know what the weather's going to do tomorrow. Uh, have you looked at the weather report lately? Uh, that's one of the first things I do every time I get up in the morning. It's the last thing I do before I go to bed, too. It's, like, <laughs> it's, it's not like I don't know, but I always like to look. You know? And we know what's coming in that way. And he said, How can you know and be so concerned about the signs of the time and you're not concerned about the moral collapse that's taking place all around us. It's a challenge to me. Look at two quick passages. Matthew 24 is talking about the second coming of the Lord. Matthew 24. He starts in verse 36 and this particular part runs through verse 42. And He's talking about um, the day and hour when the Lord comes back. And he tells us no one knows. That's in God's timetable, and he's not telling us. No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Because we talked about this in a group of pastors in Africa, um, Indian pastors. And they were, these were good men, and they were in an argument over when the Lord's coming back. Can you imagine that? They were condemning each other and accusing each other, different churches taking sides with each other about when the Lord was going to come back. And so they asked some of us to come in and, and maybe help uh, moderate what was going on. And um, so I said, you're asking the wrong question. And they just looked at me, and I said, why do you want to know? There's a lot going on right now in Christian circles about the end times. I ask the same question. Why do you want to know? And these pastors, they just looked at me. And I, the only reason I can think of that somebody wants to know when is so that they'll, they, they know how much longer they have before they have to repent and get ready. Otherwise, if we're walking with the Lord then the time doesn't make any difference at all, does it? So he tells us, 
As were the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. In those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. They were asleep. So will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One taken and another left. And listen what he says here. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. He says the same thing in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 21. Verse 34 through 36. But watch yourselves. Writing, he's talking to Christian people. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, like Ecclesiastes said. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. There's no ambiguity there, is there? You're not going to know the time, so be aware. When he says, wake up, what he's saying is, not that we don't need sleep, that's not what he's telling us. What he's telling us is that spiritually we need to be aware of what's happening around us and we need to make sure that we don't be caught up in the spirit of the age because as Christians there is a spirit of the age but those who are led by the spirit of God as Paul tells us in Romans 8 they are the sons of God and so there is a spirit of the age and he is powerful. But we are not submitted to him and do not have to be or intimidated by it. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God. Our values are not the values of the world. And if they are, that's because we're asleep and gotten ourselves corrupted. So he goes, um, he gets even stronger than that. Romans chapter 7. I want to start reading with verse 11. And Paul's writing again to Christian people in the church. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandments, deceived me and through it killed me. So, because the Ten Commandments tell us what's right and what's wrong. And this is why we are destroying the integrity of the laws today is because we don't want to be reminded of the sin in our lives. That's why we're changing the laws. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And then in Romans 13... Starting with verse 11. He's just told us that the fulfilling of all the commandments is loving one another. Love does no wrong to a neighbor in verse 10. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time. 
Paul didn't, he wasn't confused about the time in which he was living. He says, we in the church ought to be aware. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. You notice how consistent the scripture is, Old and New Testaments. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk, he's talking lifestyles now, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Do you ever plan your sins? Sure. We plan our sins. We know if I go there, I'm going to be tempted, but I go there anyway. We know if I look at that, it's not going to be good for me, but I'll look at it anyway. We know that if I do this thing, I'm going to feel bad about it tomorrow, but I do it anyway. We plan our sins, and Paul says, you need to keep your eyes focused on the Lord and don't plan to fail. And many of us as Christians struggle in our Christian life because we have planned to fail, and we feel guilty about it. But we don't change. And what the scripture is saying, it's time to wake up and change. Do the things that we know because we know the times. The reason we know the times is that Paul tells us in church in 1 Corinthians 2, 16, that we have the mind of Christ. And so I challenge myself and you, does the mind of Christ think about the things I think about? Is the mind of Christ motivated by the motives that I have? Thoughts, intents, directions. So we're looking for wise people who know the times. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verses 5 and 6 says, The wise in heart knows the proper time and the just way because there is a time and a way for everything. In other words, they're not sitting around saying, well, as a Christian, I wonder what I'm supposed to do. I wonder how I'm supposed to respond because they, first of all, know the Lord. They've been spending time with the Lord and they have the mind of Christ. It's just a matter of living it out then, which is the hard part. book of Esther they had a problem in the kingdom and so to try to deal with that they sought out wise men who knew the times 1st Chronicles 12:32, when they were getting ready to make David king there was a group of men of the tribe of Issachar men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do and so God is looking for Christian people, wise men and women who understand the times. Because Paul told us, we know, don't we? And what we ought to do. And so it's an invitation to participate in what God is doing and not be caught unawares. 
in the book of Song of Solomon is talking about um, the woman who was waiting for her lover and she makes a statement in chapter 5 verse 2 I slept but my heart was awake it's a good verse our hearts need to be awakened and sensitive to the presence the coming of the Lord to speak to us and to draw us close And what's more is that uh, we know that uh, it's telling us it's time for us to wake up. And in the book of Revelation, he's going to give us a blessing. In Revelation chapter 16, Do you want a blessing from the Lord? Revelation chapter 16, verse 15. And this is Jesus speaking. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Blessed is the one who stays awake, who's aware of what's going on, who understands the time, who knows how to live responsibly in this day and age in which we are apart, and keeps their garments on so that they won't go around exposed and naked. Well, what's he talking about there? In chapter 19 of Revelation, he tells us in verse 8, he's talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he tells all those who were, who were gathered together, the bride of Christ, says in verse 8, it was granted her, the bride of Christ, that's Christian people, to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. That's what they clothe themselves with. And so, Ephesians Chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10, we know 8 and 9, talks about by grace we're saved through faith, and that's not coming from us, it's a gift from God. And then it goes on and says in verse 10, um, this salvation, this faith is not based on works, it's based on grace. But His grace is upon us because there are good works that God ordained for us to do. It's not an earning of salvation. It's an expression of salvation. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What that means, he's talking about a walk of faith. And that is our clothing spiritually. Adam and Eve tried fig leaves. It didn't work. Isaiah talks about people with all of their scheming. It's like cobwebs. That doesn't work either. And we are exposed. The sin in our life is exposed. And so he talks about a person walking by faith in the Lord. 
and they cover themselves with the righteous deeds, living by faith consistently day by day, putting it into practice. That's what we are called and created to do. So bottom line, what are we looking at in terms of our Christian walk? How are we to spawn? When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the psalmist goes on, the very next verse in Psalm 11, he gives us the answer. And it's a good answer, one that we need to know and remember when we're tempted to fear and give way to anxieties, doubt, and confusion. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. And then in verse 7, the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Because they're awake and looking. They're seeking after him. So in terms of us as Christians, we're talking about disciplined lifestyles, spiritual awareness. That means we need to be in prayer so that we'll, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they won't follow anybody else. Do you? Do I? Do I know the voice of the Lord and can I distinguish it from the voices all around us? Because there's a lot. So prayer, study of God's word because he's wanting us to know what he's doing. We need to make right moral and ethical choices and live a consistent Christian life. We need to work to build stronger families and we need to strive to be a close, effective community. Families are under attack Because as the individual is made and created in the image of God, the family unit is created in the image and likeness of the Trinity. And so that's why God speaks to us in terms of family. God the Father, God the Son. We call ourselves brothers and sisters in the Lord. Uh, We are His children. Those are all family things and that... The relationships in our homes and families is supposed to reflect the image of God and the relationship between the Father and the Son. And uh, Jesus talks about it a lot, particularly in the Gospel of John, about that relationship. And he invites us to enter into that. In our communities, I think one of the, one of the good things that has come about all the out of all the tragedies that have happened around us, and it's summed up in this one sentence, suffering produces community. And I was, I was talking with um, one of the other pastors uh, just the other day, and um, the pastor at Elim, Elim Church over here, his son was in Houston, and um, so they had gone down there after all the flooding and all that. 
And he was, he was amazed. He said, it's incredible. All the different churches, all the different denominations, they're all coming together and they're all pitching in and helping. They're coming alongside one another. He said, that, I looked up and he said, there were these motorcycle guys, these big guys with all the tattoos and stuff. They were out there handing out food, brought their boats along to pulling people out of stuff. He said, everybody was just working and helping and pitching in because of the suffering, because of the need. And... Um, he was saying, he was saying, man, why does it take something like this to bring us together? To remind us who we are and on what our communities have been founded and based on. And so suffering produces community. It reminds us that we need each other. And so we need to have strong communities. So these are things that when the foundations are being destroyed, we focus more intently upon our walk with the Lord and how that is lived out in these daily, day-by-day things that are part of all of our lives. So, as most of you know, we have communion every Sunday in our church. It's good for us to be reminded. And um, our church believes in open communion. That means you don't have to be a member here. Uh, You can participate as much as you're willing to. But as far as the Lord is concerned, every man in that upper room was a sinner. Everyone was about to deny or betray. And Jesus said, this is what it's for. This is what it's all about. And so we're in good company with the disciples, right? All of us sinners saved by grace. And so the invitation is for all of us to come and to partake of that alone, which can give us the life and the direction, the peace and the hope that we need. And so, uh, as a church, we extend our invitation. You are welcome here. At the same time, we don't want anyone to feel unduly pressured. You just feel at home. If you want to participate, you can. If you're not comfortable with that, don't worry about it. You're okay. We're just glad you're here. So, all of these things, the Lord wants us to know what's going on. Um, He doesn't give us specific details as to time and date. Um, That's for our benefit so that we can grow and mature and learn to hear him and we can grow and learn to take responsibility for our own actions. And uh, Paul tells the Ephesian Christians, you know, um, we need to redeem the time because the days are evil. And so he's talking to us, isn't he? He's telling us. So we need to work redemptively in our society. All of that begins because of the sacrifice of what Jesus has done for us. And so as we come into his presence, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, in the context, coming context of violence and degradation that was coming his way, he took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, and it's broken for you. After supper, he also took the cup. And after he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Each of you take drink. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's shed for you and for many. It's for the forgiveness of sins. And Paul reminds us, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the death, resurrection, ascension and coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so there's something here for all of us. Cleansing, forgiveness, restoration, wholeness, um, fellowship, communion with him and with those around us. So will those serving communion please come forward?